podcast number 10, and I'm broadcasting from between Mystic, Connecticut and Guilford. I wanted to do my 10th podcast from Mystic. This is Mystic Grace. The ego has a contract out on all of us. And I'm so happy to be back in the New England area and by divine guidance. And I, I'm sitting here with Dr. Cynthia and Colin Andrews and Dr. Hertog and Dr. Desiree Hertog. And we used to get together in the summertime years ago. We, we come here and share uh, some lunch together and catch up, you know, on, on very, very important things. So I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that I get to do this powerful number of 10 here at, in my home territory and Colin and Cynthia's home territory. And her talks are actually in New York and their home territory is the entire planet. <laughs> so there we go. All right. And we're just going to we're just going to let you listen to these powerful, wonderful speakers, and thank you. Well, thank you for the nice introduction. We're very happy and joyous to be with you. Uh, we all share, really, the concern about planetary change, climate change, yeah. world change, but also we share that there's a higher path that's something in the nature of human self-discovery. And actually, Colin, I'd like to talk to you also. You are really Mr. Croft Circle, if I can say that. And you've been following him since you said T1, which is the very first one. And for a little while, there was a lull, right? You have to admit. Yes. Now we're back again. What's going on? Well, I wish I could give you the full answer uh, to that. There have been a number of nodal points, as it were, along the way. Um, in the beginning, a simple crop circle in the countryside and wonderful countryside and full of mystique. It was pure, it was unknown and set the scene uh, for the next, the following 35 years. And of course, along that 35 years, as with everything human beings get involved in, there have been downs, ups and downs. There has been disinformation. There have been challenges of one sort or another. But what has come through centrally is that something of profound importance is interacting with humanity. And I mean, that is the bottom line. We can look at and maybe discuss today um, that the theories have been discounted one after the other. The one that remains, even though we have had that transition through from uh, those theories and uh, the hoaxing that, that went on, that, that, that was a difficult period because people had already begun to uh, produce their own reality from it or at least perceive some kind of uh, foundation and footing into the subject. And as soon as uh, deception came on board, which it does with everything man gets involved in, uh, disinformation, uh, there, were, there, was there were difficulties. You know, I was made, in, for example, to feel responsible for having convinced a lot of people, many thousands if not millions, through television documentaries, etc., that something of importance was going on, uh, to the um, realization by some and then overemphasized by others that people were involved. So we had that conversation and that uh, transition to go through uh, before we finished up where we are today. And where we are today is looking factually at um, a mystery, remains a mystery, but it's on the shoulders of something that knows what it's doing. It's something that's sat on our shoulders, it knows our thoughts, it may produce our thoughts, 
and is developing and evolving into geometries, into us asking ourselves who we are in this equation. And uh, we're looking at the future. We're looking at the future in every respect, in the planet, on the planet, in ourselves, our behavior, in our relationships. It's questioning every aspect of humanity at a time when it is very clear to all of us that traumatic change is taking place. What was the year of the first crop circle? Well, the first on record that it was before my time to be able to see it was 1678, called the Hertfordshire Mowing Devil. Okay, it was a wood carving that represented exactly what we're looking at in the fields, associated with a a red light that came down from the sky, recorded uh, by an etching in a wood, a wood carving. So that's... um, right back in, you know, the British history, English history, in Hertfordshire. Uh, the first one that I saw was in 1983, and um, which evolved fairly quickly, but they were nonetheless simple circles. I coined the term crop circles um, in the early 80s, I think about 84. But the first one I saw was actually five forming a cross. It felt spiritual to me. I was looking at a symbol. I was looking at swirl plants. I couldn't, as an engineer who walked down into that field, I could not begin to account for what I was looking at. The plants were actually making a sound. I stood there and they were um, kind of like woven together, but they were unhitching themselves and try- attempting to rise to the sun back up to their natural position. And so that was the first one for me. Isn't that one of the reasons that you can tell? In some cases, obviously, it's confusing and and not all of them. But in some cases, you can tell if it's man-made or not, because if it's not, the way that the higher ones seem to be manifesting continues to allow the stalks to grow. Well, it's a a very good point, and I'm, I'm pleased you phrased it, because I do all the time get asked, well, where were those that you call crop circles? And, you know, what's real versus what's man-made. It's um, what, what I've found by looking at, I, you know, I've visited about two and a half thousand of them. There are about 12,000 in the files, you know. Um, but those that stay into that corridor of uh, can't explain it, it's funny enough, and it sounds to be counter, counterintuitive, uh, is the, are the simple ones. You know, I've been to Australia in the outback. Uh, to Japan and to other countries to look at this phenomena. And every time we come back to the floor layer, which is something different to those that are produced with a one meter plank, we know the angle of attack on plants as you spiral around and manufacture them. We know the fingerprint that is expected, anticipated with that method of construction. Those that were left, which are, which are the simple ones, are different. That's that's the best I can do. We've looked at the science. There's very little science that gives us the litmus test. There are some that we've had magnetometer readings, magnetometer survey readings, that the Earth's magnetic field around about five um, hertz it has been uh, exceeded by about 150 percent, and that the field that we see patterned out, magnetic field. Um, on the distribution of those readings mimics almost, almost identically the pattern that we're measuring. That's occurred in just a couple of those formations. 
But um, so, you know, that's where we are with that. I think the first one we were in was in Hungary, right? And 1992. And we had the opportunity to uh, have with us a member of the Hungarian opera family. And so we were intoning sounds and we uh, saw unusual phenomena. And uh, we were walking in this phenomenon. In fact, I grabbed a, a, a camera and uh, went up on one of the telephone poles to take a better picture. And I was amazed that the configuration of these circles, some of them are small, others large, uh, seemed to indicate a type of horse configuration, a horse in motion. And it was exactly in the area where the ancient Hungarian kings were crowned, called... Szekesperhershvar. Uh, which means wow. really the place of the white throne or the white nobles where they were crowned as kings of Hungary. Now, this was just after the Russian military had pulled out a few weeks before. And so the Hungarians took this as a sign of benevolence from cosmic powers. Wow. And while we were in the fields, the Hungarian intelligence arrived with black helicopters. And with Geiger counters. Actually, they seem to be getting some sort of reading. Is that common at all in some of the fields? You mentioned magnetometers, but I think there was even some radiation. I'm not sure. Well, that, ha that, that has been found. There's a whole wrong story, though, that goes with it. There was a two-year period. I was not part of that project, but I'm very aware of what they were doing. And they were measuring um, for radiation in circles in a defined area around Stonehenge and discovered when they were looked at through the laboratory, uh, in the laboratory, um, that there was a rare um, element that had a sort of a, a life, a half-life of hundreds, many hundreds of years, which was, is not a natural particle to be found in that part of, of, of the country. Mm. Uh, but that was run through a military uh, um, laboratory and when that was made public it was leaked as a, making it public that laboratory issued a second statement to, and, uh, 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 suspicious in the sense that they nullified the first result and said that it was a contamination from earlier uh, laboratory tests uh, I, I don't know anything more than that but so that was over a two-year period, yes, that radiation that shouldn't have been there uh, was discovered. I, I carried out Geiger counter readings myself, separate from that, um, over probably 10 years, um, and found nothing uh, unusual. Um, so that's where we are. There are very few real consistencies. My view, my overview, is perhaps we're getting the back end before... We make our way towards the conclusions, but it, this is a, this is as much about us, you know. It, it's as much about stop. Look at where we're putting these. Look at what's happening. Um, how do you feel? What's the emotional connection with what's in the field? How do you feel about it? You know, what do you believe? What don't you believe? There is such a, a conversation going on here. Some of it is not very obvious, you know. Patterns appearing in the food basket in central England. Those appearing also in historic locations. And JJ has just mentioned the historic connection with that first one that you saw. Right, the horse. And right. you mentioned it's also the majority of crop circles come yes, in England. That's right, around the famous white horses, six white horses in the Wessex Triangle. 
between Winchester, Warminster and uh, Wantage, which of course also coincidentally remote, <laughs> spells out a sentence, want to win the war. Oh, or the war on once. <laughs> How long do the crop circle patterns stay <coughs> imprinted? As long as the uh, farmer leaves them there. Oh, I, I see. Mean, so they arrive as soon as the plants are in excess of about five or six inches in height. When they're available to lodge into the position they're placed by however they are placed, whether by people or any other force, they have to be in excess of about six inches in length. And they will then remain there, uh, formed, until the farmer harvests his fill. There's a whole range of cereal crops. You know, we have had two reports in mature trees in England, in the same area, uh, in pine trees, um, and in uh, Saskatchewan, uh, another case in trees. But pretty well the rest have been in cereal crops, tobacco, uh, canola, Wheat, barley, oats, grass, uh, vegetation, but mainly in cereal crops. And how did the farmers feel about this? Well, initially, they felt quite proud. <laughs> they oh. were pleased to have their own mystery, their oh. own crop circles, and the farmers and their wives had a lot to talk about because of the strange things that were happening. This is this, there are parallels here with a number of key locations, Silver Hill being one in England, and uh, what is the name, Cynthia, of the, the book, this, the um, Robert Bigelow's uh, ranch? You know, and Skinwalkers. 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 There ranch. are two, well, that's two that we know of, and, uh, that he has done a lot of work, and I've done a lot of work in England, uh, looking at the events that occur. They would call them a paranormal, uh, certainly supernatural of a kind. But they include crop circles, they include extraterrestrial, they include entities and beings and animals that we have never seen before, mm. all appearing in this these defined locations. So, you know, we, we've got to keep in mind, I think, the earth connection, the power of the energy connection, and our part, the part we are playing in all of that. I think it, we are basically creating our own reality. And it's the experiences we're having, the truth and honesty with ourselves as we create it is where we're going to finish up. If we're dishonest, unsincere, you know, and that we're playing games with this, never play with, uh, with something of this kind. You know, we are creating it. So you had said one time when it's started happening and you, you were living in that area, right, where many of these things were happening, you thought of a design in advance and yeah. something happened shortly thereafter. Yes. Can you just say a little yes, bit more absolutely. about that? Yes, absolutely. Because it was the, I think I'm right in saying the first of events other people had too. No, many people have had them. But mine is in circumstances where um, domestically, I was unhappy. I mean, just to say that, I don't need to go further into it. Before Cynthia came into your uh, life? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I was in England and um, was struggling with this mystery and trying to do that work. And also as senior official in regional government, I had that job too. So there was a lot going on. But this particular night, um, I returned with the team, Busty Taylor, Pat Delgado, Dr. Terence Maiden, we had been to this site and uh, we, we, you know, we dispersed and uh, 
and that was that. There was a circle with a ring that appeared there. This particular night, I don't know why I did it, and I think this plays into the phenomenon all the way through too. A lot of people don't know how or why they get a particular thought, and then what follows. Well, my thought was, I just put my hands together. It just happened. It wasn't planned, and I prayed, and I, I prayed, I said uh, in my head, um, produce this pattern. This is, you know, it's a unique design. It never appeared on Earth, as far as we know, on this planet. In our reality, never seen by humans ever before. And in, in you know, as a, as a design in nature, like this. And I formulated in my mind the pattern. It was a Celtic cross, connected the outer satellites with a ring, a single ring, that the Celts, and it's a Celtic symbol. And uh, to appear this night, this is very important because this is two component parts. This design, second, as close to my home as possible. That was said, it's the reason I'm still sat with you here now. That's what I know I did. And what I know also, this, the second piece can be verified by many people, is that I got a phone call that same night, that morning, from Jeff Smith. He's still here to be checked out. He's, it's, this has all been checked out on documentaries and so on. He confirms, yes, I phoned Colin the next, this morning, to say, we've just discovered something in the field next to the one that you had looked at. And I, I asked him to ex describe it. That sounds very much like this design I had asked for. We got Buster Taylor immediately. Within 45 minutes, we were airborne out of Thruxton Airfield. And as Busty flew over that field, they were still harvesting. That's how the farmer found it. He was harvesting. We could still see the harvesters working. He had left it for us for two hours to look at it. And I looked down. There's Busty in the, you know, in the pilot seat. And I, a lump came to my throat. And an emotional reaction was overwhelming. This was the design. This was that design. Celtic, spiritual. And the second thing we did not know until we had time to check all this out, other things were happening. Until so we sat down and assessed where this was exactly, to the south of Andover, where I lived, it was in the last field capable of, of producing a, a crop design before harvest. In other words, it was the last field to be harvested. Hmm. And it was the closest possible to my home. That was both component parts, the event, the creation, and close to my home. Ken, what time are we talking about, historically speaking? This is this was year? 1987, I believe. Mm -hmm. 87. Now, to back up a little bit, you mentioned to me some time ago that you had this remarkable event in 1977, 10 years before. Yes, this was on the television. Yeah. Yes. Yes, which I think you were very concerned. So you uh, had a premonition, or at least you were... Consciously yeah. aware that there was other levels uh, well, of communication were going to be the, focused on on your area of the world. But there were different, just different pieces that came together and formulated eventually something that was overwhelmingly compelling. That something else knows. That something else could be producing the seeds before the event. So I guess I, I was, uh, you know, you know, electrical engineer, and I had been pulling different pieces of the equipment for different purposes purchasing it and doing experiments. But I had just purchased an old, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, brand new Elizabethan um, 
tape recorder, very large. I mean, in today's terms, we have one in front of us right now. You know, this is about four inches square or whatever. This was like over a foot wide in both directions, an old-fashioned microphone, brand new out of the box, and two levers to record with the little green um, volume levels. And I turned it on, I got it out of the box, I turned it on, I pushed the microphone towards the television set, which was subconscious in my mind because it was going in the background. I, the news came on. I wasn't really listening to it. I was seeing if the tape recorder would record it. That's really basically all I've been doing. And I pushed it across and uh, I saw that the sound levels looked about right. I started actually recording what was coming at the television set. And as I did so, just like in sync with my actions, the television picture started to fragment and it went into black and white dots. And then the voice of the newscaster on ITN started to break up and has his his voice disappeared and the picture with it. Two million people, and I was just one of them, heard this metallic voice come out of the set, the television set. We later, by research, found it was on two transmitters in central southern England, the same area as the crop circles would form later. They were transmitting out of those two transmitters into the same area that would become the most prolific crop circle activity anywhere on the planet. And out of the television set came a message, a message which is still good to this day. And that was before anything happened in the crop fields. You know, basically is that, you know, uh, there are many good people. You must uh, come to a place of peace. Your leaders must, you know, deactivate war thinking. And so these are not the exact words. It's on my website, it's on the internet, um, it's in the book On the Edge of Reality. Um, and I think, JJ, you, you had a connection with that too. Yes, I have before me a, a little folio I carry with some news clippings. And uh, one was from one of the publications in Mexico City. I was interviewed on the 26th and 27th at the same time. You were having the experience, I on the other side of the world, in the city of Mexico was... A subject of a press conversation by Novadaris. Novadaris is like New York Times from Mexico's city. And the skeptical uh, journalists were asking, well, the so-called extraterrestrials that you're investigating and Dr. Heineck is investigating, uh, what are they about and when are they going to show themselves? And and in so many ways, just uh, what is the timeline? Right. And I said, uh, and this is reported on page one of Novadati's for November 26th, and then part two, November 27th, which is the day after the event you were connected with right. in England, page one and page two, the time is short to live together in peace. I said we had to put away weapons of war. Well, uh-huh. on, on the 27th of November, page two of Novadati's is also the British transmission from ITN, next to my words. <laughs> So the, the journalist at one of the universities and one of their publications came out with this publication. This is what I sh- shared with you last year, I believe. Yeah. And it's how many people take seriously the words of uh, the, the British ITN, Dr. Alan Heineck and myself, Jim Hurtock. And essentially they, they were sort of mocking the fact that the, the high command of the, the radio services and television services were denying that this was an extraterrestrial event. 
but no way could they make this up. And British intelligence that did examine, and I got this on the up and up from the, the member of the House of Lords, Sir John Whitmore, yeah. said this was an authentic event. Yeah. So we are linked together on both yeah. sides of the world at this time, yeah. today in this conversation, but going back historically. Yeah. So we're talking today because we all feel here gathered in this room that the world needs to have the, the idea of, of the inner peace as opposed to approaching the extraterrestrial through weapons of war, which we've seen in recent times through many uh, stories and scenarios, such as the Academy of the Stars, for something that's strange, unpredictable, uncontrollable, and rather fearsome. We, to the contrary, believe, if I hear you right, is that these geometries that we've seen in our work also throughout the world represent the sacred geometries yeah. of the human body in motion, that we're being taught a new language in artistic form and vibration form, as well as in cosmic language that we are to right. understand our schoolhouse, Mother Earth, is yeah. being prepared for a major change. Now, I have to say, I don't say this very often, but in the early 70s, in the summertime as well, uh, I was in Florida, and I was sitting there with two other people, and we were just watching really late-night television, and back in those days, the television station would go off with the flag flying of the United States in the clouds, and they would do the Star Spangled Banner or something like that. Well, we're sitting there, and the TV is just about to go off, and all of a sudden, and this is two other people were with me at that time, the flag went off <laughs> for whatever reason, and here I am in South Florida, and a voice came over the TV station and said, we know you have weapons off the coast of Florida by Cuba. Now, this is after the Bay of Pigs and everything going on. This is way after. You need to remove those. And we sat around and looking wow. like, where did that come from? Oh. But all you saw was you heard what you heard, and you saw just the clouds. The flag was gone, and that was the last words of the that's, station. They cut it off. That's so I haven't Googled if anyone else has ever <coughs> reported that because, you know, what do you do with that information? Right. Obviously, it wasn't for me and the two people sitting there. But that's a direct connection. It was a I direct mean, connection. This the message, which uh, I wish I had in front of me right now, but it mentions, as you were saying there, JJ, there was absolute reference, very clear reference, to removal of weapons. Yeah. That's what that's what the Put down your, your weapons of mass destruction. Mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really what And that's yeah. exactly yeah. what yeah. Dr. Hertek had told uh, the people of the news during that time, the day before, they said, well, what are the aliens wanting? He says, well, we need to put away our weapons of war and be at peace. And that's why it was such a unique connection between what he said yeah. and what came on. ITN, Independence Television News. Right, after that. So yeah. that's very, and uh, I think, Colin, you've done a lot of research also with extraterrestrials. And so have we, I mean, they have been here probably for ever, but in addition to that, they really started coming back after the Trinity site. And 45, like that. Trinity 45. site, but also the uh, other events that we're talking about in Roswell, New Mexico, and other places in the world, which were, in many instances, connected with historic events. Yeah. So the, the interconnection in, yes. in England at these historic places, yeah. where there were historic crop circles or rings yeah. of information or ceremonial wisdom, and also, is it yeah. Robert Sala who actually was the person that released information about the fact that when they flew over some of the nuclear missile sites in northern parts of the United States on the border of Canada, that they neutralized some of the nuclear rockets? Yeah. And a similar thing happened in Bentwaters. Yes. Are you familiar with that? Yes, at all? I am. Yeah. Robert Sala, the, the uh, yes, the, he was in charge, wasn't he, of the uh, Montana, I believe. 
Yeah, yeah. one of those. Yeah, yeah. Montana site of, uh, I think, 12 or 13 Minuteman missiles, nuclear devices. And whilst they had UFO activity occurring up above at the gate into the premises, uh, they were in contact with the guys underneath, one of which was Robert, sergeant at the time in the military, um, and they were watching their coding structure just disseminate. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were just going from alarmed to unalarmed, and, and not just there, but within no time at all, it was across pretty well the whole northern yeah. part of the United States. Yeah, and there might have been several occasions of that, but I remember Robert saying he said to the guy up above because he said, "I see UFOs," and the guy and Robert said, "Well, keep them out." But of course, there's no way of keeping them out because <laughs> right. the fence only went so high, and they were way <laughs> above that. So, but Bentwaters too, and that was a three-day event yeah. in England around Christmas time. Yeah, and the first time two people saw it. Uh, who really are the ones that came out, uh, Penniston and... Uh, yeah, John uh, Penniston. Penniston and, and his associate. Burroughs. And, yeah, Burroughs right. and Penniston. And the second day, two women saw who were the military police, and they won't talk about any of this. And then the third time, because these are all reported to the head uh, commander there, they were all ready for them to come the third time. And when they came, they were prepared. And like many people on yeah. the base saw it. And at that time, and this is the the strange stuff, we were not supposed to have nuclear weapons at Bentwaters. Right. Yeah, this is a Royal Air Force base yeah. and the U.S. Joint Base. And um, this guy, the commander saw it, and then the lights were going out because they had these special lights. They were going to kind of uh, search them and see them, and, and they had, you know, to brighten up the whole night sky because they kept coming at night. And then they disappeared, and the commander called and said, does anyone see them? And this one guy who was monitoring the underground missile sites said, I see lights over the missile sites, yeah. and, they, and they were neutralized as well. Yeah. So it was a real key. Yeah. The missile sites yeah. were neutralized. Yeah. Right. Direct association with national security. The government have never been right to say there was no interest and no security um, concerns. There were major concerns. You know, I was sent anonymously that tape, the tape recording of Commander Holt that night. Yeah, Charles Holt. Charles, Charles, Charles Holt. Yeah. It came to me anonymously through the mail. Yeah. Before it was generally known. Um, I wondered why I had it. I wondered what I was listening to. But later when it became public information, there it was. And uh, of course I remembered not only receiving it, but what was it all about? Now it all fits together. This was the original tape, not the original tape, but a copy of the original tape which uh, you only need to hear it to know it's authentic. The, not only is Holt's voice there, which of course can be uh, ratified. The excitement of it all. Oh, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing. What is that? Can you see it? It's coming closer to us. Get back. Yeah. You know, he's, what's this? What's that? And there's another one coming in. And if this was an event unfolding, um, which, three nights in a row the first one of course with Penison, he actually was able to touch the craft or get yeah. close enough to act like he's touching it and then all these geometries came into his head and actually some of them both Burroughs and Penison, have had some health problems and that's an important thing too to realize that maybe the technologies have some like we wouldn't touch a nuclear missile you know that's activated right. or something they may have some sort of feedback that's not so healthy for our bodies Yes, well, this is an interesting backdrop to our present conversation because we all have done fuel investigations, so to speak, and we all know the pressing issues of how this story is going to play itself out. Is it going to come from the higher sanctums or inner sanctums of what was the traditional story is that uh, we as a humanity weren't being given 
sufficient information because it would be too shocking or cause economic and social chaos? Or is there something else connected with something far beyond even the extraterrestrials that is suggesting to us that our ancestors who brought together these mm -hmm. ceremonial centers of learning were aware that there's a whole vibratory process yeah. that con connects the inner parts of our body, mind, and spirit with the ongoing right. universality of universal intelligence. Well, I think, let's get yeah. back to crop circles. I think they are giving us a message. It's a mathematical message, but the universe is also mathematical, like sound vibration. And uh, it, they're doing it, although all over the world, because we've also seen some in Germany and Switzerland, and I know there's some in Brazil oh, many, many and everywhere. Yeah. But the majority still are in an area of the Stonehenge Avery area where they've had these sacred geometries all the time. So there has to be a message. I know one of the ones we went into in England was the one that was the 3.14. And of course, that was a very interesting geometry. It showed the whole, yeah. I guess, the um, connected with the Fibonacci series yeah. and the unfoldment of life. So very, very interesting. What are some of the other messages you think? And, and I want to just say also, they seem to appear, at least the valid ones from what I hear, almost instantaneously. There's somewhat of a light. And then within, we'll say even, not even two minutes, the whole yeah. geometry is there. So many people have ideas of how this works, but it doesn't take much if you had electromagnetic frequencies or certain things to just imprint upon the ground certain right. geometries. Well, you touch upon a couple of interesting points there. One is fairly obvious, and yet not many people thought about it for a while, including us, was that we're looking for answers. Has anybody seen them before? And I was asked actually by a special interest group at the United Nations back in uh, 20 years ago, probably, to um, look at as a, a specific project, identify and interview people that had claimed to have seen them for, which is which I did, and over the years have followed up on some of that. There are a few a few new ones since that time, but the consistency across all of these varying reports, one common denominator was that what they were witnessed with their own eyes was nothing there, and then between 10 and 15 seconds, it was there. And the descriptions such as, as I say, they do vary, but such as um, a guy, uh, his name is Roy Barnes, was one of the early ones, came forward as an eyewitness in Westbury, near the Westbury White Horse, below the White Horse, at Westbury in wheelchair, and he was out walking his dog. And as a cereal crop there, in which we had many that followed this, incidentally, not that he was to know that, but he witnessed um, a line, a straight line, of just rippling plants. And he stood and he watched it, bemused. Why, on a dead straight line, are those plants moving? The heads of the plants are moving. And then it started to advance slightly towards him, but to his left. And cantilevered suddenly, and in about 10 seconds from a straight line, cantilevered so that a circular area was oscillating, and down it went. Mm. It was one interesting, he was, you know, he's a mechanical engineer himself, um, and there are others that uh, involve beams of light. Um, so, I mean, they, they do vary, but nonetheless, the consistency is it's very fast. Something that knows again, there's, there's the recognition that something's positioning itself, knowing you're there, knowing it's going to lay on a show, 
and uh, that's what's been happening. I think to to say that not every single uh, case um, should be taken at face value. I don't think anything should be taken at face value. When you check it out and it's thorough and it's understood and you see it as authentic and real, then we stamp it with a different color. And you place all those of that color towards supporting the real phenomena. And I would like to intercede at this point. I think we need to redefine what a real crop circle is, and I'm sure that you would agree with this, that that human, I mean, every crop circle is a real crop circle, whether there was human involvement in it or whether there wasn't. And in some ways, it's almost more impressive when there's human involvement because we have the three elements joining together. We have a spiritual inspiration with the design itself, interacting with earth energy, interacting with human um, energy. And that is that mystical triad that we talk about. And I think you know, when we look for meanings, if we're stuck in our heads looking for specific mathematics or looking for specific messages, we're missing the point because it's back to what JJ was saying. It's how it vibrates us inside. It's what emotion it evokes. It's what anomalous experiences. And we know from the many circles we visited that it is not just the ones that are so-called authentically real that create anomalous um uh, situations in, in electromagnetism, in, in what happens to equipment and everything else. And so we go to the idea that consciousness itself is evolving and that we are part of that consciousness. Why would we want to separate ourselves from the phenomenon by saying some one kind is authentic and another kind oh, no, is not? I'm very pleased that you raised it. I, of course, as you know, I mean, I totally agree with that. I've, I have been cast outside of the, the central research fraternity from having been a person that primarily put it there to the person that had been was cast out for one reason only that i was talking about and listening to people making them and why i was interested in it was because i heard come from their mouths the same things as i was saying about those i was researching in other words i was looking at stuff and getting bizarre experiences Something knew what I was doing. Something would hear our conversation and create it. You know, so when I hear people making them saying, but you know something, we don't know where and why we thought about that. We felt like we were being asked to make them. Doug and Dave said that themselves, who have been claimed mm. to be the originators of this. They themselves felt there was another agent at work. So it's very important. I'm pleased you raised it that yes, way. Yes, Cynthia's put her hand on something very important. Yeah. Because after 35, 40 plus years now, we've seen, as you well described one of your monographs, how political circles have come in to try to trump yeah. what we would call crop circles or even what we would call historically religious-spiritual circles, symbols of fellowship and consciousness development. And we've been privileged to work also as social anthropologists, as archaeologists in Egypt and other parts of the Orient and even in South America, where we've seen around the native uh, villages, the, the historic markings of circles. In fact, this is a whole new revelation has come in through Brazil that remote sensing specialists have seen from the sky that there are these huge circles in the center provinces of Brazil. Hmm. They go back thousands of years earlier, suggesting that during a different uh, season, a different climate, and South America, people were able to build and structure their villages and their harvesting patterns in terms of very large mm. circles. And aren't mm. they magnificently beautiful? I mean, 
Yeah. For, for a person like myself or average person that doesn't really know anything about crop circles, when you see them, they're extraordinary. They're extraordinarily yeah. beautiful. So how could they be in a negative vein or, or trying yeah. to teach us? No, that's a good point. I yeah. mean, they're extraordinary. It has an attraction. Yeah, the, uh, uh, dynamically, the yeah. whole my whole heart and system yeah. and soul goes like, isn't mm-hmm. that the most magnificent thing? And then you yeah. see another one and go, oh, that's even, that's even more, that's it's even more true. beautiful. And I mean, it could be viewed, as, as you kind of infer there, as a performance. There is a uh, performance uh. taking place. But Cynthia is saying also for me, interject, about vibrations, because in my conversations private with uh, the late Dr. Gerald Hopkins, who wrote this yeah. fantastic book, Stonehenge Decoded, yeah. he said there's a certain music connected with the crop circles. I said, yes, I believe there's an acoustical physics connected with the way one experiences by uh, going into the circle, but going through the circle and seeing how it connects with other circles worldwide. So there seems to be a consciousness roadmap here yeah. that we're connecting now That's a good one. as an inner circle of friends, but we're also realizing that the central focus of this is not the mathematics nor the geometry as such, but the consciousness that brings yeah. all these factors together. It. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's really the individuals, the people get involved and are you know involved in and if I the phenomena. Were to go back to even the early New Testament scriptures, we have the magnificent story of the harvest in the field where one is taken, the other is left behind. The harvest symbol is the time that the fields will change and those who are ready to go on to the higher kingdom of creation or the higher chapter of life get the message, get the meaning and have the consciousness to go on as opposed to those who are in the quandary or in the skeptical side of the mind and don't see the meaning that we're all interconnected in a very special way. So now we're in a time of what some will call the quickening where things are moving very, very fast People are coming out of the closet, having inner information, and a whole new cast of characters is appearing on the scene with the answers yeah. to whether we are alone or not alone in the universe. But what we come back to is your work is is, is really principal in seeing that there's a language of communication connected with these various geometric forms throughout the world, past as well as present. Yeah. And although we've tied in the extraterrestrial with some of their messages to the crop circle, I just want to introduce something that I think brings it all together, and that is that we also consider that there's some type of universal mind, we'll say, or even ultra-terrestrial intelligence, which is beyond the extraterrestrial, that's really here trying to help. And whether it comes through a consciousness revelation through a person who then gets inspired like to do something in art, in this case, maybe in the crop circle, or whether it comes from them directly sometimes, because you don't see usually space vehicles, I don't think. I mean, there has not no, been too no. much of that. There's no, been that. light, there's been, you know, consciousness yeah. linkages. Orbs. Orbs, yeah. Orbs. So okay. to us, that's really working beyond the extraterrestrial, although the extraterrestrial also... Not in their entirety, as we all will agree, I know, but in many cases, the extraterrestrial is also here to help. Some are not here to help. They all have different agendas. That's for yeah. another topic. But I think the, the ultra-terrestrials or the universal mind that really is here helping the planet is part of that, and hopefully I, we're all being inspired by yeah, that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You know, of late, the, maybe the last two years, three years or so, I've called that um, ET, perhaps, that ET mind that above that easy mind is even possibly as the chess player 
it, there is, I do believe, I've identified in my own mind that I am satisfied with. I've never tried to sell this to anybody, but I see it as being a realistic um, analogy is that another mind is behaving and creating events that would appear to us in our logical mind as illogical. These are the wrong moves at the wrong time, and yet these are moving chessboard, moving on sets on the chessboard for a logical outcome. And it, it's playing it out in politics, it's playing it out in religion, and it's playing out in the fields. It's playing it out on the human human journey. Uh, we, 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 you know, the journey that we're all involved in right now comes from the, I believe, an, an insertion of a thought component, whether it's psychic, whether it is in reverse of remote viewing, backwards, you know, but coming back from future information to a past time. I don't know how it works, but I, I do see that. And I've started to, only just started to actually map that out. You'll see an event on television. Politically, it's easier to see that because it's coming out the set all the time. <laughs> and it looks completely illogical until three steps down the board, several days later, the outcome of the illogical move is a change that cannot be put right. This is a conversion of the time to another period. And so slowly a window, this, like the pixels on the TV screen, are are being activated yeah. and we're beginning to see a new picture, a new reality, and hopefully with a more positive, uh, sincere, um, respectful players on that board. Well, this goes along with Dr. Hertak uh, wrote a book called The Keys of Enoch, which he's well known for, and it came from a, a unique experience he had, and he was told that between now and in the near future, which is this day and age, that uh, information, whether it's genetics or astrobiological or historical, archaeologically, all this other information is going to be coming forth to help prepare the species for really, in a sense, our next quantum leap. We'll say uh, moving into maybe contact with extraterrestrial realities in a more normal sense than we have today, or also being able to really understand how to help the planet. We all know this planet right now is going through massive amounts of climate change. We'll look at India with a loss of about a thousand people this past summer due to rain, not just in one area, but throughout the whole country. So there's a lot of things going on and we need to help ourselves on one level, but we also need the information, which I think we maybe don't have. And so we feel that some of this information and crop circles is part of that is being given to wake us up in some ways. Yeah, I would agree. I think with the signs and the seasons are converging now in a very special way that we have to take advantage of our collective wisdom and best we can do, isn't it? And use the media to put positive ideas out because there's so much negative yeah. um, information out there suggesting uh, or emphasizing the negative intruders, as Bud Hopkins would call them, yeah. from the lower realms, to the exclusion of the positive forces of intelligence that have inspired the great artists, the great thinkers, the great poets, and of course these great and magnificent culture centers that have come down from ancient uh, China to across India to 
Europe and, of course, the New World. And we've been privileged to find, and this is the subject of our new book, dealing with uh, the title, Giza's Industrial Complex, Ancient Egypt's Electric Power and Gas Generating Systems, uh, a deeper look of what we've been able to put together in our research under the sense of Egypt with permission of the Egyptian authorities since the 1970s. And this book, it's a small book, will detail our emphasis upon what we found to be saltwater batteries. The Egyptians were able to harness the water of the Nile and by using a simple uh, chemistry, build underneath uh, at certain collecting ports uh, collect water collectors, which in turn were, for all intents and purposes, large solar cell water batteries. Right, so this is, in some cases, uh, generating hydrogen gas, which is being used by Toyota, and even just a new flashlight that came out of Australia, they're giving us that energy. But we feel this is all part of the awakening that's being given. So we're getting to understand the ancient knowledge is just one aspect of it. And we're actually being able to incorporate it today in what would be green technology. But I'd like to also talk a little bit more about energy and the body and how people, Cynthia, do you feel that people's consciousness is awakening and what's really happening with all of this? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt if we look at the changes that in, in how people think today that there is a consciousness shift taking place, and I think the crop circles have played a part in it. I know that when I was first met, Colin was at a lecture in 1991, October of 1991, and he was, he had um, taped a video, or he had recorded the sound that had been um, heard inside of these circles at different times, and it's a two-toned pulsating sound, and he had played it during this lecture and on the screen was a crop circle, and he's playing this, and at the time, it induced a sort of trance state in me, and I found myself kind of bilocating and standing in, in the crop circle, and my aura was going out to the edge with one tone and coming into the center with the other, and it was this undulating um, field of energy, and I realized that these were energy modulators, and that they are not only modulating our energy or the people who are witnessing them or making them, or any other involvement, but the Earth itself. There's a modulation in, in the energy of the Earth itself, and that they are hooked into the ley lines of the Earth. And I think that consciousness itself is more than just human consciousness. It is a universal consciousness, and we can't change without the Earth changing. And the Earth is part of uh, part of this galactic change that's taking place, and, and different planets moving in and out of alignment are creating different vibrations and different... Um, um, shifts within us because in our body we're receiving these different changes in the in the um universe so that was kind of a long no, <laughs> no, i i agree with it wholeheartedly in fact uh, last night we were prepared for a small radio talk and i was looking at the magnetic field mm. shifts which is part of what you're talking about although sound we think is also key and i'm glad yeah. you brought out that sound because sound and actually Phonons and photons seem to have a relationship with only now scientists are starting to understand. But one of the things happening on the planet is the South Atlantic anomaly, which may be causing a shift mm -hmm. in our magnetic field. I mean, we're actually overdue. We haven't shifted the North and South Pole in 760,000 years. And normally it's every 400,000. So no one knows whether the South Atlantic anomaly is starting to do that or not. There's, you know, pros and cons on that. That's a different 
bigger. But now if you go out into the universe, as you mentioned, the galaxy, they're starting to see that there's a dipole repeller and a shapely concentrator and the whole whole local area (laughs) that we're living in this is billions of stars you know is actually in the magnetic shift between these two factors and this Mm. is all kind of new just coming out but you see the energy is much more than local and that's something that we are very strongly on it's it's not all just happening here and that's why we can get beyond 2012 very easily because people thought oh 2012 is going to be the end of the world well we did a great conference called beyond 2012 2012 on the Saturday and Sunday afterwards because we realized a lot of people would be stuck in Mexico with a one-way ticket. But <laughs> the idea is that there's much more, there's much more intelligence, there's much more guidance. You know, it's mm-hmm. not going to be black and white. One day we're here and next day we're gone. There's a whole programming of change. No, and and interesting to point out that that was never what the Maya said either. They never said it was ending at the end of their calendar. They did they did express that there was a shift in awareness and a shift in consciousness at that time. And it is the Maya, actually, that talk about the 13 areas of the body being linked to 13 different areas of the galaxy and receiving these changes in vibration, which I think is pretty interesting. I think they were right on, too, as yeah. far as the trends were concerned. You know, the trends upon a whole range of human activity and planetary health. Well, this brings me to a new theme of our next book, <laughs> Because in addition to working in Egypt, we worked uh, in Guatemala, Mexico, Yucatan, in the area of the ancient Mayan Empire. And quite recently, since we talked, one of the scouts on the neighboring property where we have a small land center in Yucatan uh, found a portal into the ground which he followed then invited us to go into. And yeah, it vast this underground tunnel. Portal went okay. to an underground Caves, system everything. that goes under 35 pyramids Good gracious. and is perfectly uh, connected in geometric form. So this is not happenstance uh, movements of earth, but rather it's in a, a way of building structures on top of an underground series of openings and tubular wow. passages hmm. that then go into a larger area of ancient civilization, which the National Geographic has recently identified as in central Guatemala, which also is mentioned the Keys of Enoch, is the Guatemala Triangle. Connected with Tikal especially. And that area, they say, had upwards of 15 to 20 million people. Sizable population for the ancient world, perhaps the largest concentration, certainly, of any any urban center. And I mentioned the word urban center because there were 65,000 buildings identified. Wow. 65,000 buildings with three O's by remote sensing and high and LIDAR technology from space and investigators say that they were shocked that whoever put this in the midst of the jungle, what became a jungle, knew how to lay out a city structure as well as uh, water uh, canal systems that were interconnecting places for economic support. So we're looking at an area which according to the Mayan mythologies and legends was a place of contact for the star people. Mm. Just like Egypt was a yeah. place of contact and the Holy Land, of course. Now we see a plan that connects these centers with a visible sacred geometry, a visible symbols that we all recognize as part of the overall architecture of psychology and sociology, as well as being a place 
which according to, to the late Dr. Heineck and others who we work with, was a place of present-day visitation hmm. by the cosmic others, returning to the places of early social and spiritual engineering. So what do you do if you come to another planet and you're an advanced intelligence? You teach people how to work together as a team, how to lay out a sociology that's basically a grid system that has ecological promise and has this, all the supporting features of free energy, drawing from the sun, drawing from the waters, and drawing from the vibratory systems of hydraulics connecting the two. So that's what we found. That's very interesting. And this is why this is so important because as we go into what the governments are now calling disclosure, that we're not alone in the universe, what is disclosure? The fact that there are other civilizations? Or what is the meaning of that? Right. Those civilizations have to come basically into the fiber and factor of our body, how we're mm. essentially set up as vibratory bio Cosmic beings. Yeah. So we are bio-cosmic beings waking up yeah. to the fact that what we have here on a small scale is reflected out there on a large yeah. scale. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the missing part is the consciousness, mm -hmm. dynamics or consciousness vibrations. Yeah. And that's really what I think is to be uh, connected with the crop circle, yeah, as well as what we will call the ceremonial centers, which in their own way were stone circles or sacred sites of a different chapter of history. Yeah. JJ, yeah. have you ever visited the Hypogeum in Malta? I've been invited to several times. I haven't had, but I have had colleagues who've been there. It's an extraordinary example of what you're talking about in Guatemala in terms of underground temples with sound systems where you can talk in one part of it and it's projected through, through, yeah. um, through the rock, through yeah. channels in the rock into other areas yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's the most extraordinary place. Yeah, I was amazed that that question has been handed down to me from different quarters mm -hmm. and also told that the Knights of Malta, which mm -hmm. was a, a Christian organization that came in much later in time, revered this area mm -hmm. as a place of initiation. Yeah. So so there. whether we we see this simply as a place of historic experience or we see this as something that mm -hmm. explains these other places throughout the world of why ancients would invariably put their libraries underground or why they believe initiation would require yeah. going into soundscapes that could give more an effective sense of vibration. This is yeah. part of our collective work. Well, when we were in the Great Pyramid, uh, we did a lot of chanting. And this happened to me, and it also happened about 10 years later to my friend. There's a certain resonance frequency, and we actually analyzed the sound frequencies inside the Great Pyramid with white noise and pink noise analysis. And it tends that instead of moving into overtone frequencies, which everyone's kind of interested in, it actually goes into undertone frequencies, mm -hmm. more like the Tibetan. Mm -hmm. And so what the sounds are doing is putting the vibration, even if you're saying, especially men's voices, I have to say, are a little bit better than females in this case, but you get it down into the alpha mm -hmm. and the theta. And I had an experience where literally the walls drop away and you feel like you're outside. My other friend had the exact same thing because basically the sound frequencies are putting your mind into this other yeah. alpha, theta type of state. And I think that's very powerful because really um, we don't realize that our brain is working on different frequencies. And when we do meditation, which we highly recommend, I think everyone in this room does yeah. meditation, uh, this really uh, helps to align and heal mm -hmm. our bodies, which is mm -hmm. your work, Cynthia, and also to uh, balance our energies and keep us healthy and well and open to mm -hmm. what's happening on the planet and what we need to be doing. 
Yeah, and this is also your work um, yes. with the teepees because the teepee yeah. brings together the circle as well as the pyramid. Yes. These two geometries are the, the movable pyramid or the, the, the movable village symbol is what you carry with you in life or your habitat. I had a, a Navajo come and put up uh, my chakra teepee, uh, and it was so interesting that the local um, military helicopters buzzed the teepee for uh, oh, a couple really? of, of weeks after that, just to see if they could find anything underneath it. Or, wow. You know, so they don't like stru you know structures uh, on the surface of the planet unless they, they put them there themselves or That's they know right. they know what's underneath. But we are all researchers here. We've all come to be for ourselves and humanity and one of the things that when I had my healing center was that all peace you know all healing comes from within when we are at peace with ourselves and so even I find myself thinking am I in a military state now <laughs> you know is the military taking over you know my mind and my my direction and what is happening to me haven't I done enough research am I at peace with myself what are you know how do I, what do I do well, now? I think there was certainly some, it is some kind of transmission around you with the teepee. Do you remember, Cynthia, when we, we first visited? Mm -hmm. we, I was yes. we didn't, weren't sure exactly where you were. Yeah. And I, I had just simply mentioned, it came just out of my mouth like somebody else was talking about looking for the teepee. Mm -hmm. And you had never mentioned the teepee. I didn't, no idea. And we went around the corner, we looked right, and there's this beautiful teepee, which of course <laughs> is where you were. Yeah. But how that triggered out of nowhere, I have no idea. It was off so the road kind of in, in the back of the woods, and yeah, yeah, and it, when it went up, it was like a caps like a capsule landed, and and uh, it was thunder and lightning. You know, the next two nights, and they would light up the teepee, and the, the chakra colors would just light up. And in in my own mind, my guidance would be like. Go out there, go out there. I'm, well, I'm not going out there. <laughs> sit in the middle of that teepee. I don't know where I'm, where I'd be going after that. But when we gathered as groups of people and we drummed or we, you know, uh, sang or whatever, we could hear above us flute playing, singing, just about 30 feet above us. So oh. it really drew in the Native American energy of, of the land they there. there. And they were so grateful that we were had, uh, drumming and yeah. had a teepee. And I'm not an Indian, I'm Irish, and I, you know, uh, so I got a teepee and we're doing some healing work, so, yeah. okay. But you, wow. you actually put into physical action that which the sacred symbol is all about. Yeah. And the teepee isn't yeah. far from the pyramid, actually. It's yeah. a cone exception. <laughs> That's why I put the gold on yeah. the top. Yeah. <laughs> right. I painted it gold for the caps. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. All, it's all magic. Just to mention, I don't know whether we've talked about this before. You mentioned um, Professor uh, Hawkins. Yes. He, unbeknown to me, he had purchased the first book, Circular Evidence, back in 89, and was analyzing with the mathematical, mathematical brain that he has the ratios of those simple circles. As I said, it came back to the simple circles in Circular Evidence. And 18, I think of the 22. Um, incident, uh, cases that we investigated and wrote about in that first book were diatonic ratios. He was the guy that discovered that. Mm. The mathematical, musical uh, equation that existed in 18 of the first crop circles that we investigated and published. So immediately we had there, if, if you were to play them in order of arrival 
in any other way, complexity would play a different tune. It's, I know I've heard that you know, they have been produced. Uh, there have been attempts to see whether or not healing could be perfected through that music. Uh, it's not, as, they, he, as Gerald himself said, it's not music to the ear. You know, this is not pleasant Mozart or, or, what, or whatever. But nonetheless, uh, these were diatonic ratios, white keynotes on the, on the, uh, on the piano, um, and only those. That is the peculiar thing. Mm. Now that came, now that, now that, those diatonic ratios, those actual physical ratios of the crop circles, also fitted precisely, and not close to, but precisely into the floor plan supplied by English Heritage of Stonehenge itself. So not only was, and is still to this day, uh, Stonehenge is a, is a very important central component part of this. And the patterns that the floor lay, which the, you know, the, the, um, the elders of their day, the ancients of the day, built that on, on some basis, of course, for some reasoning, um, and was actually either mimicked the other way around, the crop circles that came later, where it was an overlay, and we weren't realizing that. So, like the Celtic cross that I asked for in my head was already there in Stonehenge. It was a matter of, it wasn't set as a crop circle. It was there as a stone circle. Mm. And so, you know, the other theory that started then when that was realized by Hawkins, Gerald Hawkins, was were they placing stones on crop circles? Did they also see those balls of light? Did they witness, eyewitness, peoples that were in contact with the earth, with the heavens? That was their world. That was their life. And did they then record in stone something of tremendous significance to them, which was what we might call paranormal, but it was a spiritual experience from the gods. So, you know, it's another... It's another very interesting aspect. insights to share with us. I think one other thing that we must mention is an expedition we had about 10 years ago with a group from Europe going to Stonehenge, and we used the, the ancient mantrams oh, yeah. that we have used in other parts of the world, which is a combination of Sanskrit, Hebrew, Aramaic, and sometimes other languages are added it sounds that we feel, at least in our experiences, have generated light. show you in this one picture from one of the pyramids in, in uh, Tula, Mexico, where the light oh, wow. appears around my body, very powerful light, oh, wow. manifests itself as I was singing. And as we were singing, insects from the field around Stonehenge came out ah. and, did, and did patterns around the lintels, ah. triangular and, patterns. And you could hear them. Yeah. I mean, they were like buzzing and part of our singing. I'm not sure we have recordings of this. It would be foolish if we didn't have recordings because we had quite a few people there. But the guards of Stonehenge came to us and they said, we never saw anything like this. That you were singing as a group in the circle of Stonehenge. And all of a sudden, out of the field, thousands of insects came, beetles of some sort. And they weren't wow. disturbing to us because they were hanging out on the top of the lintels. Yeah, high up. yeah. You could but see they that. made triangular wow. markings, yeah. or movements, I should say, above and below the lintels. What is it all so what is that saying? It's saying yeah. that there's a vibratory, yeah. meaning as Hawkins and we have indicated in some of our experiments, acoustical physics or biophysics, connected with these ceremonial centers. If you have the right sounds to raise consciousness, yeah. then the whole geometry comes alive. Yeah. And here the insects were co-participating with us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really interesting point because we've had shifts of consciousness from bees, the bees on our property, oh, and God, listening yeah. to the bees would shift shift the the energy of the property and shift our consciousness. And and tree frogs would do that. So obviously, the insects here are doing something mm-hmm. vibratory, and participatory as well. And I've just got to mention this one. So it means a lot to me. It may not sound to be uh, as um, interesting to others. But I, I feel to say it now because the insect is what's done it yeah. in this conversation. <laughs> I've sat there, this has happened twice. Two consecutive summers, and uh, the last one was probably three years ago. And I have one photograph that I can show. I've sat down there. Uh, Cynthia was at work in their practice. I'm sat down there. I have my, com- my uh, camera, which I often do. I love wildlife photography. I have my camera down there. And um, I got a strangest sense that suddenly came over me, and this insect that I have never seen in my life. Several, th- several things about this. It was like two bodies connected to one another, huge long, long antenna-type legs that were laying back here like this. Uh, I would estimate something like eight inches or so long. And this was the peculiar thing. It came up from the far side, as I'm pointing now, and very close to me, and away to my left. And as it did so, I I still can't explain this. I felt like I wanted to cry. I don't know why. I mean, mean, I'm I'm looking for insects most of the time. I'm not very interested in them. I love to get close to nature. I'd never seen anything like this before. And it had an emotional effect upon me, which was really bizarre. I phoned and told Cynthia about it, and that was that, right? About a year, I don't know about dates on this, but about a year later, how the second event occurred was that I was thinking about the first one. I was actually sat there without my camera the second time, and I thought about this insect, and as I thought about it, here it comes again, from the same place, and again I wanted to cry. And I I said to Cynthia, there's something happening here, I don't know what this is all about. But there's connection between another species and myself. And it affected me like it was touching a throwing a switch inside of me. And I can't to this day explain what was going on and why. But I, I, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Well, we all appreciate Rupert Sheldrake and his work with mm-hmm. animals. And, and, of course, there's the parrot in New York where uh, he's done research, the woman realized he was a psychic parrot, and the parrot was in the flat where they live, and then they moved the woman uh, one or two floors down, showed her pictures, and the parrot, a floor or two up, could say exactly what that picture was. So, you know, there's a definite connection, and of course he's done it with dogs, and and my friend is a veterinarian and says, you know, he'll never take an appointment for a cat because you can make that appointment <laughs> at your work. The cat is nowhere to be found. You don't take out the cage. You come to get the cat. Time of the appointment, the cat is gone. <laughs> and it happens all over the world, everywhere. So, you know, I don't know about insects. You know, you always think, but the birds clearly, though, have that kind of vibration. Yeah, they can clearly pick up. So we're all interconnected consciously. So on this level of conversation between Mother Nature and our other friendly friends out there on the, on the uh, branches and leaves of what we consider to be caretakers of, the Garden of Life, we thank you, uh, Colleen, for bringing us together. Absolutely. Yes, Thanks, I wanted to say to the young people, my nieces as well, 
Uh, do not give up hope. Do not, you know, listen to so much of the negativity or do not be afraid to, to go to school or do your own creativity. Uh, keep dancing. Don't afraid, don't be afraid, you know, of what's happening. There is, you will live your lives. You will live on this, on the surf plane and you will help be a part you know, of, of the new consciousness, the new earth, with your love and your light, your youth, you know, and, and your heart. And if, if, you, if you would just, um, I want to, your websites, you know, just if you want to connect to um, Colin Andrews, Dr. Cynthia Andrews, tell well, them your... Thank you for that, Colleen. Yeah. It's colinandrews.net. colinandrews.net. And Dr. Cynthia is... explorationsinenergy.com explorationsinenergy.com and of course Desiree and Dr. Hurtag together keysofenoch.org or futurescience.org right and this is Mystic Grace podcast number 10 crop circle number 10 (laughs) (laughs) and we thank you very much and I love you guys and thank you so much that's a great message thank you thank you